go. Okay, I think you can hear me. Can you hear me? Woo! That's great news. I was most nervous, slash most excited about getting this mic today. Because <laughs> I feel very cool. <laughs> and when I was in first grade, I was Britney Spears for Halloween. <laughs> and I just feel like seven-year-old Val is here today. I don't know why I was Britney Spears. I was not particularly a fan. Maybe my friends and I were doing it. Anyways, now you can all think of it. Well, I have my cool mic. Hopefully it works. Ah, hello, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Yes, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me up here this morning. Would love to give a shout out to my friend and yours, who you call Bob, I call Dad, for bringing uh, our wonderful scripture today. I'm excited to dive in. As you know, we've been going through Luke as a church since late last fall, and we're keeping it going. We are keeping it going. So, I'm going to say a little prayer, and we're going to talk about what we just heard. Here we go. Jesus, thanks for this morning. Thanks for this church and this time that we have together to think about you and maybe learn about you. I pray that your spirit would be with each of us as we learn what, what you have for us in Luke chapter 3. Amen. So to start off, I want to briefly talk about I heard that. I want to briefly talk about who John the Baptist is. So we know from the scripture that he is prophesied about in Isaiah. We also learn from earlier in Luke that he's Jesus' cousin, that Jesus' mother Mary and John's mother Elizabeth were pregnant at the same time. And when Mary came to visit Elizabeth, John, in her womb, left. So these two go way back to the womb. John's whole life is to prepare the way for Jesus. And he is always just a little bit before so as we review these verses, there are a lot of them. As we review them, today I hope we get to see how John and Jesus are connected and how John is here to point us towards Jesus and to prepare the way for him. So there are a couple of things that I want us to focus on this morning. The first is, what is John the Baptist saying here? And the second is, what does it mean for us? And I'm excited to get into it. So the scripture starts here with a long list of names that my dad did a great job pronouncing that I did not know how to pronounce. And so a little bit of just historical context uh, that Luke, the historian, gives us in this passage. Next, we get to hear what John has to say right off the bat. In verse 7, we see that there is a crowd of people coming to John to be baptized by him. We know from a section in Matthew 3 that included in this crowd are Pharisees and Sadducees, who are two groups of people who were the religious gatekeepers of the time. They believed that in order for the Messiah to come, everybody needed to be in top shape, they needed to be acting right. 
And so they worked to enforce this law and to set people straight. John, however, living his own life, separated from the people in the wilderness, and being already connected to Jesus, he knew that the way of the Pharisees and the Sadducees was not it. He knew that the Messiah was already here. So John's greeting to this crowd in verse 7 is sort of odd. When he sees them arrive, he calls them a brood of vipers and mentions that there is an axe ready at the base of the tree. I think there are a couple of significant references that John is making here. The first is by calling them vipers. There's no positive connotation to that word. (laughs) Not welcoming or inviting. In Leviticus chapter 11, which is a book that the Pharisees and Sadducees would know well, it talks about vipers as a creature that moves along the ground, which is to be regarded as unclean. So already, we're not off to a great start. The snake imagery also goes back to Genesis, the very beginning, when sin enters the world. So right off the bat, John, bringing vipers, snakes into this reading, we know that this is not a great thing to be associated with. We also know that John probably knew exactly what he was doing and used those words on purpose because he knew how this group would respond. The second reference I think John is making here in these first couple of verses is back to Psalm 1, which describes the righteous as like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That feels good. When John mentions this tree and axe in verse 9, I think he's alluding to Psalm 1 by saying, the tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So we're making this connection of righteous, not righteous, good, not so good. So I would say we're off to an interesting start here with John the Baptist. After his greeting, he gives the group some instructions about how to prepare for the Messiah which to me looks like looking inward less and outward more. He tells them about taking care of others and not taking advantage, which sounds to me like something Jesus would appreciate. And then next, in verse 15, we come to what I think is another really important part of what John is saying. He knows that the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if he might possibly be the Messiah. And John immediately points away from himself and towards Jesus. He tells the crowd that he is not it. He tells us instead what is to come. He mentions someone with straps whose sandals I'm not not worthy to untie, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. He uses some agricultural imagery of the winnowing fork and the threshing floor and chaff, which... I think he uses this agricultural language also on purpose to give us a picture of what Jesus is coming to do. The threshing floor, the winnowing fork, are both involved in the process of removing the chaff from the wheat. The chaff 
is the part that is not good, that we don't use. The wheat is what we want to keep. So this brings us back again to Psalm 1, where it talks about chaff as being associated with wicked. It says the wicked are like chaff that the wind blows away. So John is telling us that Jesus is coming to remove the chaff. I think he means that Jesus will remove the chaff from our lives. He will help us get rid of this extra that we don't need, that we don't use. This is something that John cannot do. And Jesus is the only one who can. I love how throughout these verses, John clearly directs the attention away from himself towards Jesus. The scripture gets a little intense as we keep going. John ends up in prison. He's talking about this kind of wild stuff, and it makes my heart rate elevate, (laughs) and it feels a little bit intense. But then in verse 21, the one that we have been waiting for enters the story. Jesus himself is baptized. I can feel my heart calm down just imagining Jesus coming into this craziness. Maybe you do too. And it is so cool. Heaven opens. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove onto Jesus. And we hear God's voice say, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. A moment here when we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in action together, which is a theme that Luke likes to highlight. While I'm sure this scene of the Holy Spirit descending and God's voice calling out may have been kind of wild and intense when it was happening, I'm still feeling a sense of peace knowing that Jesus is here, the one that John has been preparing us for. John is making this space for Jesus to enter in. And that brings me to the second area that I want to focus on today, which is what does this mean for us? It's cool to read about this account and to think about what that was like to imagine Jesus getting baptized and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. But what do we do with that now? I think like the Pharisees and the Sadducees in this crowd, we can often look to other things, hoping that they are it, just like they were hoping John was the Messiah. It could be a little different now, instead of looking to just one person, it might be looking to books or social media accounts or teachers, parents, other figures in our lives, hoping that they will give us the kind of peace and satisfaction and direction that Jesus gives. There are so many things in our lives now that John the Baptist had no idea were coming, but he knew all along that no one would be like Jesus. I know for myself, if I'm thinking about something, whether it's related to my relationship with Jesus or my work or politics or my community. I know that I can turn to my Instagram feed or some books or other people to help me process what I'm learning. I could turn to my cool husband or my parents or my bestie when I'm making a decision or I need direction. 
But when I'm not feeling any sort of relief from turning to those things, I'm reminded that they are not it, that Jesus is, and that he wants to enter into that story with me. When we take the time to sit down and talk to Jesus about who he is, what he did on earth, and what he is doing in our lives now, we can experience that peace like the Holy Spirit descending onto us like a dove. What other people have to say can be helpful, but they are not the end. Just like how John directly pointed away from himself and towards the real deal of Jesus, these other sources that we turn to will not give us the same satisfaction or relief or rest that Jesus will. So what do we do? When you are feeling yourself waiting expectantly, when you want to turn, turn towards anything that looks promising, recognize that and take a moment to sit with Jesus. That might look like praying out loud at a stoplight or writing in your journal or reading some scripture about who Jesus is and what his life looked like. Maybe even read Luke 3, verses 1 through 22, like we did today. If you're not sure how to get to know Jesus in this way, I highly encourage you to join the story on Tuesday nights or Wednesday morning prayer with Love Chapel Hill. Both of these virtual gatherings can help you learn some ways and see some examples of how to see Jesus as the real deal how to see him as more than another person in the story. However it looks for you, I encourage you to spend some time this week focusing on who the one the story is all about, the one with whom God is pleased. And as we continue to worship together this morning, maybe use this time of communion and singing to reflect on that and to think a little bit about what it looks like in your life. What things do you quickly turn to before Jesus? Uh, and what is Jesus waiting for with you? So Justin's gonna come up, we're gonna go into our time of communion. And thank you so much for listening. And I hope that the rest of our time together this morning is so wonderful. Jesus has entered in with us. As we've come through this season of Advent and this Christmas season, we celebrate his coming, that he would enter into time and space to come as a helpless baby, right? To enter in just as each of us came into the world, but to live a life full of sacrifice of surrender to his heavenly father to show us a way and make a way where it seemed there was no way to live his life
to where he would come to a table with his disciples on the last night. And so on that night, as he sat at the table, he took the bread, which was very common, and he made it something special. He made it something new that would lodge in their memories forever. And when he took the bread and he broke it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat of it. Do this in remembrance of me. And to take that cup that he had that night as well, again, a common thing, but turning it to where it would be with them forever and with us today, to say this is the cup my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sin. And as we take the bread and the cup today, we're reminded of the words of John the Baptist in preparing the way to repent. And so this time, just as as Val said, let's take this time, open our ears and our hearts to be open to what the Lord wants to do in our midst. To repent in the places that we have not lived in to who he has called us to be. Right? That is sin. And there is forgiveness. When we come to this table, we remember that he made this sacrifice for us the forgiveness for our sins. So he invites each and every one of you to his table. It is his table, not mine, not yours, but it is his. And so he opens that invitation to each and every one of us. And as we come, we accept and we receive his grace. His grace to fill our hearts and to live as he has called us to live, to be who he has called us to be. This morning as we come, we're going to invite you to come down this aisle. Joel will uh, dismiss each row. You come down and receive the bread and the cup and then go across the front uh, aisle here and then back to your row. And then you can receive the elements once you sit back down at your seat. So we invite you to come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen.